This is The Water Table. A chance to hear the agricultural side of these issues. A place for people to go find information and education. Water management is just going to become even more critical into the future. How misunderstood what we do is. I would encourage people to open their minds and listen to this dialogue. Welcome back to the Water Table Podcast. Jamie Dunnick with you. Just want to introduce an episode Carl Getter so graciously uh, recorded from the North American Conservation Agricultural Drainage Expo last week in, or a couple weeks ago in Iowa. Um, Carl interviewed Lindsay Pease, soil scientist from the University of Crookston in Minnesota. Um, and they talked a lot about the Red River Valley, northern Minnesota, North Dakota, and the differences there in when it comes to drainage, longer winters, um, you know, snowfall and snow impact on on crop viability in the in the growing season and how drainage impacts that. So I think you're going to enjoy this episode. Uh, please listen to Carl and Lindsay now. Welcome back to the water table, everyone. This morning, we have Lindsay Pease uh, with the University of Minnesota Extension Service out of Crookston, Minnesota with us. Glad to have you here, Lindsay. Yeah, thank you. Great to be here. We're down at the Naked Show in Iowa. It's the first year of this show. It's basically a show for drainage and water management and the drainage industry in general. So this morning, why don't we just start out by, Lindsay, let us know who you are, your background, where you came from. Yeah, so uh, so as you mentioned, I... Uh live and work out of Kirkston, Minnesota. For those of you that are not as familiar with Northwest Minnesota as I am, uh, we are about 30 minutes east of Grand Forks, North Dakota, and we are an hour and a half north of Fargo. So very cold, uh, almost to Canada. But what I am doing and working on there, I am basically the, the university's nutrient and water management specialist in the Red River Valley region um, of uh, the country and uh, my background is actually as an ag engineer. I got my degree at Ohio State, um, worked with uh, some of the you know older titans of the industry back in Ohio, um, namely Larry Brown and Norm Fozzi, and those two just made me fall in love with drainage and I was looking for a position that I could kind of keep doing that work of drainage in a new region and the Red River Valley is a great place to be doing drainage research and outreach. Um, I'm stationed at the Northwest Research and Outreach Center in Crookston. This is one of the university's um, experiment stations and uh, we just really focus on that Red River Valley agriculture there and I'm the role of the soil scientist and the nutrient water management expert. So. so did you have exposure to the Red River Valley when you were doing your undergrad at Ohio or how did what what attracted you to come to North Northern Minnesota? Yeah, so you know, I I barely knew uh, about the Red River Valley before I started looking for jobs, but you know, they had the job opening and when I went and learned more about the region, I just really fell in love with it. I think there's a lot of great parallels, interesting parallels to Western Lake Erie Basin, which is where I had done a lot of my work. I grew up in Western Lake Erie Basin. It's also a really super flat glacial lake bed. So I looked out at this landscape and was like, this just felt like home. Uh, 
immediately, and it's it's cold, obviously, but you know you get you get used to it. You really do, and um, and and yeah, and it, I think it's such an exciting place to work because um, you know there are a lot of really motivated farmers, really passionate farmers in the region, and you know trying to kind of show them how drainage can work for them has been a really fun uh, thing for me to work on. Yeah. So talking about the the farmers up there, and I would agree, right? I mean, they are they're passionate about their work, and and. I think one thing that's unique about the Red River Valley is that they really grasp technology quickly, right? Yes. They they and they kind of move at a faster pace maybe than some other parts of the country. Is it challenging to get them to agree to work with you or what's the relationship like between the extension service and the and the growers? Yeah, you know, we have some absolutely fantastic collaborators, you know, that are willing to try things. Like you said, they're not only quick to pick up the technology, but they actually have been really excited to try things out on their farm. Um, they are experimenting kind of on their own anyway. Um, and we actually work with a lot of the commodity groups to help find, you know, like-minded farmers that, um, that are willing to, you know, maybe run a strip trial or let us do crazy things on their farm, you know, or let me collect, let me run to their tile outlet and collect drain water samples, you know. So we've actually had no problem finding growers to work with. It's, it's been great. So speaking about test projects, what are you guys working on today? What's the current projects you got? Yeah, my big, my biggest like kind of marquee project is I when I early when I started this job back in 2018, I um, worked on installing a full scale um, drainage kind of outreach and demonstration plot um, in Kirkston. So I always say we have the coolest drainage plots in the country, um, you know, by annual average temperature. Literally. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and um, so we are we are monitoring. <clears throat> We're monitoring different um, different aspects of how the water is moving, but then also how nutrients are cycling in the soil. So kind of looking at that whole aspect of not only water management, but how that affects the fertility recommendations that we might be making and how nutrients are cycling, how microbes are processing, you know, the different carbon and, and nitrogen fractions. But then obviously, too, looking at phosphorus, which is a big issue in the Red River Valley also. So, yeah. Right, 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 right. I mean, those are all topics that, that are definitely hot topics in the drainage industry right now. You know, I I understand the relationship with the with the grower, right? What can the drainage industry, right? I sit here as a representative of Prinsco, right? And we kind of represent and we talk about drainage industry types of topics, but what do you need from the drainage industry, whether it be a manufacturer, whether it be a contractor? What do you need from us as far as help to try and move your work along? Yeah, that's a great question. I think really, um, really a big part of what I'm trying to do is just kind of let people know, you know, that the Red River Valley is out there and then we've got this kind of great area that is just um, ready, ready for opportunities, ready for education. And we do have some, and I think um, partnering with the industry on getting some education out there for farmers, for growers, uh, would be really high on my list, I think, of, of what we need in the valley. It's, I promise, it doesn't snow all the time. <laughs> just three or four months a year. Just, six months, just maybe? maybe six, six months, yeah. <laughs> so as, as an industry, as a drainage industry, if we have things, topics, subjects that we want work done on, how would that, what would that process look like getting those ideas to you? How do you, I mean, how, how does that work or what would the process look like? Yeah, and I am, I'm really involved in, um, in a group of drainage researchers and 
and also industry that is called the Conservation Drainage Network. Um, I'm the current chair this year of the Conservation Drainage Network. So um, that is just a group of kind of like-minded drainage individuals. We um, kind of meet formally once a year, which isn't necessarily the best time for contractors. We meet in April, so we're, we're talking about maybe changing that because uh, a meeting like this, you know, is always a great way to right. interact with people. I think, you know, a lot of my work is really flexible. I try to be really practical. Um, so, you know, if people want to come to me with ideas, reach out, I am happy to, you know, have a conversation and think about, you know, what we can work on together. I love the collaborative research and being really practical. Um, and the practical applications of, of what we can do and, and where we can uh, test things, yeah. I mean, were you working on a lot of nutrient stuff right now? I mean, your your special or your specialization is con- contaminant hydrology, water quality, and nutrient management. You mentioned a lot of nutrient management, uh, water quality stuff. Where, where do you see your projects going in the future, or what's kind of on your mind as far as after this set of research you're doing now is done? Yeah, I think um, I think. Really, a big focus of my work is not only looking at how the water management interacts with these different, you know, soil fertility and, and nutrient cycling pools, but also just evaluating how some of the practices that are being done elsewhere in the Midwest, how can we implement that? You know, how can um, we have a lot of different, there's a lot of different drainage practices, um, whether they be saturated buffers or, or bioreactors, um, you know, those sorts of things, phosphorus removal structures, um, that I think uh, drainage water recycling even, those types of big projects I think uh, would be really well suited for the region. And so I think a lot of what I'm doing is just testing those or looking at maybe a small scale to see, can we roll some of these practices out or do we need to change them? Do we need to change them for the different crops and the soils and climate, obviously, that we have in the valley? You mentioned large scale. I think that's one thing that the industry the drainage industry as a whole likes to see, right? Because it's one thing to make it happen on a very small scale, right? I mean, you obviously have to have your control. But would it be challenging, do you think, to find enough cooperators to do large-scale projects if you wanted to do, you know, 35, 40 buffer strips or you know, large numbers? Yeah, you know, I think I think that would, it probably would be hard to find cooperators for quite that many, but I think because we're still in that phase of introducing these practices to farmers, but once they start to see and understand a little bit better, and, and part of that is, is my job too, I think we would have no problem once they can kind of understand, get their head around it, um, we could easily start to, to pull those people in and get them to try things on their field. Uh, I mean, we've really, I mean, even just using, you know, cover crops as an example, a lot of farmers just start, you know, experimenting with cover crops in their, in their farm. So drainage is a little bit more of a step, uh, a bigger step for them. But also I'm finding, you know, a lot of interest in that, you know, a lot of curiosity. So um, based on my past experience, I have no doubt that we'd eventually be able to find people. We just would need to kind of uh, baby steps uh, first, but but I think could, uh, over time, yeah. So you mentioned cover crops yeah. and I have a little uh, hobby farm as well. So I, when I put my farmer hat on, um, and I did a little. I did some cover crops on our farms this year, but curious what you're doing in northern Minnesota. I mean, Crookston is chilly, right? It gets chilly yes. quickly in the fall. You're, I don't know what your annual or your average first frost date is. Probably sometime in September. Um, what are you doing up there to get those cover crops to take off? 
Yeah, so we have um, a few different cover crop experiments that we are starting out with. You know, we had our first year doing some of them back in 2020. Um, one of the projects we're doing is looking at whether, like how easy it is to just green seed soybeans into rye because in the spring, as, as you know, with things being cold and wet, you may not necessarily have time to terminate the rye and then go back in two weeks later and plant the soybeans. So we're just looking at what happens if you terminate and plant the soybeans all the same day. So we had actually pretty pretty good results in 2022, even though we had a late cold spring. Um, rye is one cover crop that does really well in our cold climate. It can survive the winter. <laughs> <laughs> which is always a concern. But we do tend to run out of time, as you mentioned, in the fall. Getting those cover crops established can be a real challenge. So we're starting to look into, you know, can we do any interseeding, you know, try to get them a little bit of a head start um, before, like you mentioned, because the crops are coming off at the last possible minute in October. And so if you're also planting a cover crop, Right. Yeah, you, right. Can, you can imagine how that goes. It doesn't always take off. But yeah, we're looking at interseeding and, and other ways to kind of help widen that window and give the cover crops a, a better chance. You know, I think the industry, the drainage industry, and we obviously have a place in that whole process. And I yeah. think growers overall see a lot of the advantages of cover crops. I think that first, that early part, right, how do I get it in and get it to actually green up? Because there's nothing more disheartening, I think, for a grower than to go through the effort to try and get the cover crop to grow and then it doesn't grow, right? Absolutely. So um, let's switch gears a little bit. Um, talking about the extension service, how do you guys work with other, ex you talked about sharing information, right? See what they're doing in other places of the country, bringing it here. Um, I know I think in Iowa this next year, is there a convention for or, uh, an annual meeting for extension agents in Iowa this next year? Uh, I'm not, I don't know, I don't oh, know, actually. Right. <laughs> so how do you work with other extension services trying to move that information around and make that information visible? Yeah, so I, uh, I really, um, a lot of us, you know, come to, as you mentioned, we do go to a lot of different meetings and, and try to go to industry events and, and talk to each other there. Um, I also keep you know, pretty have conversations and, and meetings with other folks that are doing extension research in the same area. So a lot of it's a pretty tight knit community of us so that we can help collaborate where we need to and, um, and learn from one another. I think it is, um, you know, yeah, we're, we're kind of keeping in touch just at different events and, um, and, and really just over, sometimes over Zoom too. You know, there's a lot of, mm -hmm. a lot we can do, uh, anymore with technology, just, you know, just calling each other up on Zoom and, and having a chat and, and collaborating that way. Yeah. Right. As a manufacturer in the industry, and I think this probably speaks, I, mean, I think I could probably speak for the entire drainage industry and in saying that we like to support the activities that you guys do. We, we like to be involved in, in research projects. One thing that I think we would like to do more of, and that is be more exposed to your students, right? I mean, labor is one of the biggest challenges any company faces today. So how would it, how would the drain industry or a company like Prinsco, how do we get more exposure to your students? How do we get on the radar? How do we talk to them? So maybe we can try and get them excited about water management, which maybe isn't the most exciting topic for a or a senior in college, right? Sure, and you know, I, I'm kind of an excellent example of, of the possibility of, of 
drawing somebody in um, who is not from a farm background, um, just showed up, you know, a city kid uh, at, you know, at a big large land-grant institution, you know, I, I went to Ohio State, like I said, but it's the same thing at any of these um, different um, different universities. I think giving students opportunities to even just, um, you know, things that, that attracted me, getting out in the field, you know, seeing the practices, learning about them, you know, seeing a drain plow, opportunities like that for students, I think for that kind of hands-on opportunity or maybe participating in a design project. A lot of of, um, of the engineering departments, for example, will have opportunities for uh, for the students to work on a small design project as part of a course curriculum, um, and that would be you know one really great way. You have a project and you you kind of put this out for a group of, of senior engineering design students, and that would actually be one way to for sure help um, you know introduce students to the drainage industry. I think that that is definitely one way. I think um, and. I'm sure any any ag engineering department in the country would have would have a department like that, and um, and I'm also happy to help make connections uh, <laughs> where where possible. But yeah, I think um, and for me, uh, my first summer job was as a research undergraduate research assistant, just working, uh, helping helping with drainage research, and um, and then I I really fell in love with it. So uh, I'm a, I'm a convert, you know, to <laughs> to agriculture in general. That's a great story because you know. I'm Today, I don't know what the exact number is, three or four percent of, of the population, right, that still lives on a farm or comes from a farm background. But I do feel like agriculture in general, and specific the drainage industry, right, I mean, we touch more than just agriculture. We, we, touch, we touch natural resources, right? So all these other areas where I think there probably is some passion with some of these youngsters or young students or older students, whatever you want to call them. So I think there's some passion there. It could be, could be some excitement as long as we can figure out a way to get them exposed, right? Get them into our industry and uh, just surround ourselves with a, with a ton of bright young individuals. So, Yeah, no, I totally agree because that, and that was a big thing for me. You know, I came to the university thinking I am going to, you know, help the environment, right? But what does that mean? And then I think kind of through that exposure of realizing that like most of the Midwest is, is farms, is agriculture. So if you want to make the biggest impact, you know, why not work with the people that are working with the land? And that's been super fulfilling for me too and understanding, you know, that what you know what the goal is is not just to like make a quick buck right it is to actually be a good steward of the land and all of these things just go hand in hand with one another and um, yeah awesome well uh do you have any questions for us Lindsay? i don't think so <laughs> all right sorry. well we appreciate you coming on the water table today i appreciate yeah. the conversation and hopefully we can have you back again sometime soon great thank, thank you. you very much Thanks for joining us today on The Water Table. You can find us at watertable.ag. Find us on Facebook. You can find us on Twitter. And you can also find the podcast on any of your favorite podcast platforms.